This episode contains graphic details of murder and other crimes. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, before this episode starts, I did want to correct myself because I feel like I was a little insensitive during this episode. I referred to the sex workers and women that Thomas killed as prostitutes. That was what they referred to in the articles that I was reading. Um, that's what they were referred to at the time, but they are sex workers. I definitely support sex workers. I should not have referred to them as prostitutes, and I hope I didn't offend anyone by doing so. If I did, I apologize. So in advance whenever i say prostitute in here just correct it in your mind to sex worker i'm really sorry okay i'll let you get on with the episode now bye hello everyone i hope you guys are having an excellent week so far it is cold in london ontario today um i think it was like negative 20 at least negative 15 with the wind chill she's cold so to warm up let's talk about a murderer how about that hey was that stupid probably. Okay, so today we're talking about Thomas Neal Cream, also known as Dr. Cream, also known as the Lambeth Poisoner, also known as Canadian Jack the Ripper. Yes, this man has a lot of names, but for the sake of this episode, we're probably just going to call him Thomas. You'll find out why he has all these names as we go through, so let's just get on into it, shall we? So, Thomas Neil Cream was born in Glasgow, Scotland on May 27th, 1850. I couldn't find any information about his mom, but his father was named William. Thomas was the oldest of eight brothers and sisters, and in 1854, the Cream family emigrated to Canada and settled in Montreal, where his father became the manager of a shipping and lumber firm located in Wolf's Cove near Quebec City. Thomas briefly followed in his father's footsteps, apprenticing in the shipbuilding trade and helping out his father when he started his own successful wholesale lumber business, but he didn't stay in the lumber industry for very long. In October of 1872, at the age of 22, he started attending Le Chute Academy before becoming a student at McGill University in Montreal. He graduated from there with a medical degree, and his thesis was on chloroform. The topic was chloroform. Um, So he graduated with honors on March 31st, 1876. During his time at McGill, Thomas earned a reputation among his classmates and professors as a wild and extravagant young man. He had a lot of money from his now wealthy father, so he was able to dress in high-priced clothing, flashy jewelry and this part made me chuckle a little bit he traveled about in a stylish carriage you get it thomas i'm happy for you he did his postgraduate training at the saint thomas hospital medical school in london and in 1878 he obtained additional qualifications as a physician and surgeon in edinburgh he then returned to north america to practice in a community in need of physicians After a brief experience in Des Moines, Iowa, he brought his happy ass back to London, Ontario. I know that was a lot. There's a lot of bebopping around in this case. He 
goes back and forth between the UK and Canada. So I'll try my best to make it clear. So he went to Edinburgh, then he went to Iowa, and now he's back in London. Soon after he returned to London, he met Flora Elizabeth Brooks, whose father was a um, like a owner of a hotel in Waterloo, and they began courting. And then Flora got pregnant a few months later, and Thomas had promised to marry her. But um, he, he didn't want to do that, so he attempted to perform an abortion, but failed, leaving Elizabeth very ill. Oh, sorry, her name was Flora. Leaving Flora very ill. He tried to escape to Montreal, but was caught by Flora's father, who forced him to return and said, no, 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 you're going to marry my daughter, you sketchy motherfucker. So that is what Thomas did. He and Flora got married on September 11th, 1876. The day after the wedding, he left for England to continue his medical education, but the Brooks family never saw or heard from him again. Flora almost fully recovered from the abortion, but ended up passing away from consumption in 1877. Thomas then returned to Canada in May of 1878, so like two years later, after spending some time in Scotland and gaining the qualification of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Edinburgh. He set up a practice in London, Ontario, where he also began a career as an illegal abortionist. Nice. He was charged under Ontario's Medical Act with practicing without a license and would later plead guilty. However, that did not deter patients from coming to his office. In 1879, Catherine Hutchinson Gardner was found dead in a privy behind his office at 204 Dundas Street. She was pregnant and had been murdered with a handkerchief soaked in chloroform. Thomas had refused to help her with an abortion, instead urging her to accuse a local businessman of being the father. Right. He claimed that she had threatened to poison herself when he did not agree to perform the abortion, and that she had written him a letter in which she mentioned the businessman as being the father. However, Catherine's family and her roommate were like, no, she did not write that. That's not her signature. That's not her handwriting. Um, and it was dismissed as forgery. Despite rumors and overwhelming evidence against him, the authorities didn't take any further action and the case was never solved. Thomas then moved to Chicago and put a practice there, not far from the red light district in Chicago, offering, again, illegal abortions to prostitutes. He was investigated in August of 1880 after the death of Mary Ann Faulkner, a woman who he had allegedly performed an abortion on but he escaped prosecution due to lack of evidence. In December 1880, another patient, Miss Stack, died after being treated by him, and he subsequently attempted to blackmail a pharmacist who had filed the actual prescription that he used to kill her. Nice. In April of 1881, a woman named Alice Montgomery died of strychnine poisoning following an abortion in a rooming house barely a block from Cream's office. The case was ruled a murder and never solved. The location, time period, and method make Thomas a very likely suspect. Obviously, or else we wouldn't be talking about her. On July 14th, 1881, Daniel Scott died of strychnine poisoning at his home in Boone County, Illinois, after Thomas supplied him with an alleged remedy for epilepsy. 
The death was attributed to natural causes, but Thomas wrote to the coroner blaming the pharmacist for the death after he again attempted to blackmail him. This time, Thomas was arrested along with Mrs. Julia A. Stott, who allegedly had become Thomas's mistress and procured the poison from Thomas to do away with her husband. Nice. She turned state's evidence to avoid jail, blaming Thomas, which left him to face a murder conviction on his own. He was sentenced to life in prison in Juliet Prison. Obviously, he did not spend life in prison or else <laughs> our story would be over. So, Daniel Stott's friends erected a tombstone in the graveyard where his grave was, obviously, which reads, quote, Daniel Stott died June 12, 1881, aged 61 years. Poisoned by his wife and Dr. Cream. That's written in the stone, baby. So, to summarize, Daniel Stott's wife was cheating on him with Thomas, and he gave her the shit to poison him. He died. She was like, yo, it was Thomas, and he went to jail. But he was released on sometime in July of 1891. Governor Joseph W. Pfeiffer had commuted his sentence after Thomas's brother pled for leniency and allegedly bribed the authorities. Cool. Using the money that he inherited from his father, who died in 1887, Thomas sailed to England, arriving in Liverpool on October 1st, 1891. This was three years after the Jack the Ripper killings had been committed. He went to London and took um, up lodging at 103 Lambeth Place Road. At the time, Lambeth was riddled with poverty, petty crime, and prostitution. Perfect for someone who wants to perform illegal abortions on prostitutes. On October 13, 1891, Ellen Nellie Donworth, who was a 19-year-old prostitute, received two letters from Thomas and agreed to meet him. He offered her a drink from a bottle. After that, she became severely ill that night and died from what was later found out to be you guessed it, strychnine poisoning. During her inquest, Thomas wrote to the coroner offering to name the murderer in return for 300,000 euros reward. Under a pseudonym, A. O'Brien, detective, he also wrote to W.F.D. Smith, the owner of the W.H. Smith bookstalls, I'm not sure what that is, accusing him of the murder and demanding money for his silence. On October 20th, Thomas met with a 27-year-old prostitute named Matilda Clover and offered her pills, instructing her to take four before bed. She then began experiencing violent, painful spasms later that night and died two hours later. Her death was assumed to be heart failure due to alcohol withdrawal. Thomas, under the name M. Malone, wrote a letter to the prominent physician, Dr. William Broadbent, claiming to have evidence of his involvement in Clover's death, demanding two, two, oh my gosh, I can't read numbers, 25,000 pounds for his silence. Broadbent contacted Scotland Yard, and they set up a trap for the blackmailer when he would come to collect the money. However, no one was caught because Thomas, like, bailed. On April 2nd, 1892, after a vacation in Canada, Thomas returned to London where he met Louise Harvey, a prostitute. He offered her two pills, insisting she swallow them right away. Louise, being a pro- being suspicious of him, pretended to swallow the pills um, that he had given her, and she chucked him into the Thames. Good for her. 
On April 11th, Thomas met two more prostitutes, Alice March and Emma Shrivel, 18 years old and 21 years old, and spent the night with them in their apartment. He offered them three pills each and a can of tinned salmon. Thomas left soon after, and both women died later that night of, everybody say it, strychnine poisoning. So the blackmail letters that he was sending ended up kind of biting him in the ass. Not only did the police quickly determine the innocence of those that he was accusing, they also noticed something in the letter that was like, um, that's not something that we know, so how do you know that? Basically, the death of Matilda Clover was put down to natural causes related to her drinking, but the person in the letter said her murder. So the police quickly realized that the false accuser who had written the letter was a serial killer, and they started calling him the Lambeth Poisoner in the newspaper. Not long after this came out in the newspaper, Thomas met a policeman who was visiting London from New York, and the policeman had heard of the Lambeth Poisoner, and Thomas gave him a brief tour of where the various victims had lived. The police officer happened to mention it to a British policeman who found Thomas's detailed knowledge of the case suspicious. No shit. If you're taking a police officer to the victim's homes, like, who would know that besides the person that did it? That was, he's a very smart man, but that was literally so dumb. Sorry. The police at Scotland Yard put Thomas under surveillance and soon discovered his habit of visiting prostitutes. They also conducted an investigation in the U.S. and Canada and learned about his history, including the conviction of murder by poison in 1881. So, at the inquest held by Athelstan Braxton Hicks in July of 1892, he read out a letter signed by Jack the Ripper declaring Dr. Neil innocent, which produced laughter, including laughter from Neil. The jury returned the verdict that Matilda Clover died from strychnine poisoning administered by Thomas Neal. On June 3, 1892, sorry, Thomas was arrested for the murder of Matilda Clover. Why can't I fucking talk? On June 3, 1892, Thomas was arrested for the murder of Matilda Clover. On the 13th of July, he was formally charged with the murders of Matilda Clover, Donworth, Marsh, and Trivel, the attempted murder of Harvey, and extortion. From the start, he insisted he was only Dr. Thomas Neal, not Thomas Neal Cream, and the newspapers were usually referred to him as Dr. Neal in their coverage of the proceedings. So, was he connected to Jack the Ripper? That's crazy. His trial lasted from October 17th to the 21st in 1892. After deliberating for only 12 minutes, the jury found him guilty of all counts and Justice Henry Hawkins sentenced him to death. Less than a month after his conviction on November 15th, Thomas was hanged at Newgate Prison by James Billington. As was customary with all executed criminals, his body was buried the same day beneath the flagstones of the prison along with all other executed criminals, marked by one initial. His body was disinterred. Disinterred? He was moved to London's Municipal Cemetery in 1902. He is now buried in an unmarked grave in Section 339. So, James Billington, the guy that executed him, claimed that Thomas's last words while he was on the scaffolding were, quote, I am Jack the... dot, dot, dot. Which is so crazy. James promoted this allegation 
um, as proof that he was responsible for executing the notorious Victorian serial killer, Jack the Ripper. Do we think that he's Jack the Ripper? You guys are going to have to tell me because this is looking a little suspicious. Now, these claims are unsubstantiated as police officials and others who attended the execution made no memory of such an event. However, Thomas was in prison at the time of the Ripper murders in 1888. So, <laughs> if he did say that, it's probably impossible for him to be Jack the Ripper. Which is crazy. Now, <laughs> this part I thought was interesting. Ripperologist, meaning like a professional Jack the Ripper guy. Donald Bell speculated that Thomas had bribed officials and been let out of prison before his official release. And Sir Edward Marshall Hall suspected that Thomas's prison term had been served by a lookalike in his place. Now, these are extremely unlikely and contradict all no evidence given by the Illinois authorities, newspapers of the time, Thomas's solicitors, family, and Thomas himself. Obviously, but he wouldn't like be like, yeah, I did it, you know? One of Thomas's bi- biographers suggested that he was on the scaffold, about to be hanged. He was frightened. He lost control of his body functions and stammered, I am ejaculating, which could have been mistaken for I am Jack, which is f- fucking funny to me. I'm sorry, but that's funny. I'm ejaculating? And people think he's Jack the Ripper, but he was really just like jizzing in his pants. I'm sorry. Anyways, an English-Canadian writer named Chris Scott won an Author Ellis Award for the best crime novel in 1898 for Jack, a novel based on the premise that Thomas was Jack the Ripper. The motivation for the series of poisonings has never been settled, and it's generally assumed that Thomas was a sadist who enjoyed the thought of his victims' agonizing deaths. His control over them was something that he got off of, however... Thomas was also interested in money, as evidenced by his attempts at extortion in almost all of his crimes. So it is a possibility that he committed the murders under the pretense of ill-planned attempts to profit from them. From the start of the series of crimes, Thomas wrote blackmail notes to prominent people, and the poisoning of one of his known male victims, Daniel Scott, was committed in the hope that Scott's wealthy widow would share his estate, the deceased's state with thomas in addition to the five poisonings thomas was convicted of he is suspected in the murder of his wife flora brooks and at least four other women who died while in his care undergoing abortions now just to play the devil's advocate saying that he is jack the ripper who did jack the ripper kill prostitutes who did thomas cream kill prostitutes i don't know i kind of think that it could be him but the whole, like, body double, like, person impersonating him in jail seems a little far-fetched, but I don't know. Documentation probably wasn't what it is now in 1800, 1890, whatever, when he was in jail, so I'm just saying. So anyways, that is the story of Thomas Cream, Dr. Cream, Dr. Neal, um, the Lambeth Poisoner, Canadian Jack the Ripper, etc., I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Please follow me on Instagram at notalwayspolite. We can have a chat there about today's episode. Let me know what you think. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. And yeah, I will catch you guys next week. Bye.